The college basketball season is upon us, ushered in by Bubbleville, an 11-day event featuring more than 30 schools at a single site. What does that look like and how might it set the stage for another Bubbleville come March? Our Brett McCormick is here to discuss his story. Then, we'll hear from executive editor and publisher Abe Madcor, who'll take you through some highlights from this week's reader survey. That and whatever else comes up once we get talking here in the newsroom of Sports Business Journal. I'm Bill King, and this is First Look. This is the time of year when we'd typically be gearing up for a slew of early season college basketball tournaments and made-for-TV events. This year, most will be casualties of COVID. What, if anything, will replace it? In to talk about that story, I'm joined now by our Brett McCormick. Brett, you uh, you have a, a good lay of the landscape as, uh, amazingly enough, college basketball is about to open, but it's going to open in quite a different manner than anybody could have envisioned. Um, well, that, that's kind of been the theme of twenty of 2020, right? So no surprise there, I guess, but far different than any college basketball season we've seen before. Um, as people, it seems, are gravitating to a, a handful of locations um, to put on events, right? Yeah. And this is one of these experiences that I think we're going to start having a little bit is where you come around to uh, something that happened in the pandemic earlier this year. And it, it just kind of shows you how far this thing is, how long this thing has gone on. You know, March Madness was one of the first big events uh, that got canceled that really, I think, opened everybody's eyes to, you know, how serious a threat the pandemic would be to, uh, you know, live events, especially sports. So the college basketball season starts this week. It starts November 25th. Uh, that was a decision made by the NCAA in September. And that kicked off this like mad scramble to uh, schedule games, uh, it, you know, during the last two months, uh, this is something that normally takes place like over the course of a year or two and was really uh, compressed into this short time period um, before Wednesday. And, you know, there, I mean, it was, it was kind of, in some cases it was a hurry up and wait because, you know, you had to wait for your conference uh, to see what they were going to do. And then there have been uh, individual schools that have opted not to play this year. And so, you know, you take them off your schedule and you try to find another game. Uh, so it's really been a very chaotic uh, couple months before this season started. Uh, the November 25th start date is about a week or two uh, later than the season would normally start. So that right there cut out a bunch of events, uh, including, like, for example, the women's NIT, uh, which was 16 teams over 10 days were going to play. Uh, you know, now all those women's basketball teams were left looking for games. So it's been a very uh, chaotic preseason for the people that are involved in uh, the organization and scheduling of the, you know, college basketball season. A lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that, you know, most people don't think about or ever, or ever see come to the surface. Once you get outside of the conference season, it, it really largely has been a function historically, recent history anyway, though, of of ESPN, right? I mean, so many of these events are really made for television events. When you talk about non-conference games, that's generally what these are. I mean, the old days of, of you, you certainly still do have basketball programs and athletic directors, you know, sort of saying, hey, let's play a home and home or let's schedule this many, uh, game, you know, play each other, you know, this many times over this many years. You've certainly got, you know, standing games that will always be there. I think back to my childhood in St. John's against Notre Dame, 
Notre Dame is always want to go going to want to go play a game in New York. Duke is always going to want to go play play a game in New York or New Jersey. Those things are going to work themselves out. But there's a whole lot of these games, these non-conference games that were created for television. Um, it, I, I would suspect that's even even more the case now. Yeah, definitely. So college basketball conference scheduling is has changed, and and there's two things the increase of conference games, you know, you got these like super huge conferences um, that play in everybody twice. Well, that ends up being, you know, that's, that's could be into the twenties um, in terms of games and an easy way to fill the rest of the schedule. You, uh, I think you have to have 31 games. I think this year it's down to 27, you know, understanding the, the pandemic. Um, an easy way to get the rest of those games is to do is to sign on with what's called an MTE, which is a multi-team event. And this, you know, it can kind of take some different forms, but uh, ESPN owns 10 of them. Uh, and this really helps them fill out their uh, non-conference college basketball uh, broadcast schedule. And they're all over the place. You know, you've got um, some that are, you know, with, with like marquee teams and then some that are in uh, really cool locations, you know, like the Diamond Head Classic or Maui Gym uh, Invitational in Hawaii. Um You've got the like NIT season tip off, which is like the preseason NIT. Um, so you got you know all these different events that take place uh, in November and December. And this year, those you know the story that I wrote about this week was that 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 has really been quite a struggle um, for the broadcaster ESPN or or the organizers of these events to put all this stuff together, given all of the challenging conditions that have been imposed on them, you know, obviously COVID the biggest one, but then the schedule, uh, you know, start date uh, was another one. I mean, that outright got rid of a bunch of events right there that, that start for November 25th. And, uh, and a few of those were salvaged, but not very many. Uh, and then you've got a lot of these that take place uh, outside of the, um, you know, uh, continental United States. So you got tournaments in Jamaica, Bahamas, um, Cancun Challenge in Mexico, uh, U.S. Virgin Islands, so kind of all over the place um, in the Caribbean. And uh, as far as I can tell, all of those are um, either been canceled or moved to the uh, United States, um, including, for example, the uh, Battle for Atlantis, which is one of the most lucrative of these uh, events, pays out like two million bucks to the schools that participate. And it moved to South Dakota, uh, renamed itself the Bad Boy Mowers crossover classic and they're uh, playing in Sioux Falls, which is, you know, right now one of the epicenters of the pandemic in the United States. So, I mean, no way they really could have, you know, saw that coming down the pipe, honestly. So um, it's, it's kind of illustrates how this has been sort of a, a, a game of whack-a-mole. Um, you know, I cover tennis uh, in addition to doing this general assignment stuff and tennis really, you know, this is what I watched tennis try to do the entire year was, in a way, like just set up tournaments and really just cross your fingers and hope that the virus doesn't show up there. Um, and that's what a lot of these organizers are trying to do. Um, so the events that my story focused on, it's loosely being called Bubbleville, uh, but it's going to be held at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. And it's going to be, uh, there's 30 plus teams playing 40 plus games over 11 days, and they'll be able to uh, quarantine loose, you know, I guess quarantine is the right word, um, at the Mohegan sun, you know, which has got 1600, uh, hotel rooms. 
And they'll be there for like varying periods of time. You know, not all those teams will be there at one time, but uh, kind of cycling in and out. And some of them will be playing in, you know, like really organized events that were moved from uh, New York City um, in the term, in, in the case of two events that the Gazelle Group runs. And then the Neesmith Hall of Fame has um, its tip-off tournament there at Mohegan Sun every year. So that'll be played there. Uh, and then there's just a bunch of like loosely uh, kind of, I don't say this derogatorily, but just sort of thrown together events. Um, you know, and these are called the Bubble Bubbleville pod, Pods. And um, it, it was sort of like, you know, you need games, you need games. All right, let's play. You let's know? go to the same place and get them in. Yeah, if you can get up here, we can get you like four games. And, and this year, like, you know, that is really valuable. I mean, to be able to get um, what you hope are, are you know, uh, a series of games um, over in a relatively safe situation um, in a short period of time. So um, this is going to be like really fascinating to see how this works out. I mean, the organizers of it think that Bubbleville is going to be the biggest single site college basketball event in history, which makes sense because I was trying to think if, if you've had conference tournaments in some cases, even with the men's and women's teams, you would have no more than like maybe 30. Uh, if all the teams were in the same place at the same time, which, you know, most tournaments, which they aren't, aren't even held like that. Right. And so I, I think their, their claim makes sense. And so if they can pull it off, that'll be, you know, in this, in this current situation, I mean, I think it'll be, I think I wrote in the last line of the story, it'd be a minor, minor miracle if they can pull it off. Um, because I mean, you're already seeing just like we've had with college football, um, you know, teams are just dropping out of these college basketball events left and right as they have, uh, as they have um, positive COVID tests. I mean, even Bubbleville has not been uh, immune from this, you know, to, to use a badly chosen word. Um, they've already uh, had teams drop out of the event. And so it's really with Bubbleville, the, the issue is not so far sanctity of their bubble, it's getting teams there, you know? So I, I think the travel is where college basketball is really gonna have the same issues that college football has had. You know, it's, it's just really difficult to move around the country and not, you know, somehow uh, get exposed to this virus. So, I mean, this is going to be fascinating. I, I, I hope with all my heart that everybody is safe and, and can make it through without uh, contracting this illness or, or having, you know, a very serious version of it. But um, it will be really interesting from a business standpoint to see how this, uh, how these events go down, you know, over the next month. Well, is, is Bubbleville actually a bubble? Yeah, sort of. So it's not an NBA bubble, but it um, is honestly, it's probably almost as close as you'll get in college basketball. I mean, you have such disparate resources, uh, you know, available to these programs that that's just um, that's going to be a real big issue this year. And and I think that's why you're seeing some of the smaller schools already drop out. I mean, you've seen, um, I think, two schools from the MEAC have already said, you know, we're just going to sit this season out because um, one thing that is popping up in contracts that uh, some of these MTE organizers have told me about is that um, bigger schools are in some cases offering to pay for the COVID testing for these smaller schools that are coming to play them because they need to have them at a certain threshold of COVID testing to be able to play, you know, either based on their conference or their school's requirements. Uh, and, and the smaller schools are not always going to be able to afford that stuff. So that's a new thing that's kind of popping up in these game contracts. Um, that I think will be probably specific to this year. You may, I mean, you may see that next year, but hopefully, you know, hopefully we're in a better situation with this, um, 
next season. But, uh, you know, there, there are these interesting things that are coming up in these contracts. And I've, I've seen some of these MTE ones. I've FOIA'd a bunch of them. And uh, you definitely have no financial penalties for schools that can't compete in any of these events because of COVID. So that is that is a new thing this year. Uh, you said, force majeure was in most of these contracts. I've FOIA'd a lot of these things over the last probably decade. Uh, and force majeure was always there, but pandemic was never mentioned. It was always uh, act of God or flood or hurricane, earthquake, things like that. Um, pandemic is definitely, you know, in that in that roster of uh, you know crazy uh, life altering events um, that that uh, you know had always been there, but but pandemic is definitely in that group now. So you've seen some of the contracts. What about the what about the finances of these things? Are programs at all? Are schools getting made whole at all compared to what they would have gotten before? What does that look like? Uh, that's hard to say. I, I haven't seen enough of them. Like you know, some of the responses I've gotten are, yeah, we'll get this back to you in December. Um, but I would say that they're very they differ greatly by uh, by you know by event. So uh, depends on who's organizing it, how big the event is. Um, you know, I know some of them <clears throat> have asked, uh, some of them are like pay to play. Some of them are, you know, the equivalent of like a buy game. So it, it, it's really different. I, I wouldn't want to say, cause I, I don't think I've seen enough to know. Um, I haven't even gotten back, um, any of the ones for the events I wrote about this week. You know, I had FOIA those from a couple of schools, but haven't, haven't even, um, seen all those yet. I saw like, uh, letters of understanding or memorandum of understanding or whatever. But, um, and then some of the ones that I've gotten back for, uh, for like the Naismith Hall of Fame tip off thing was, you know, that was signed in 2018. So they gave me that one. Um, so I'm sure there's an amended one, but you know, if I didn't specifically ask for that, maybe they didn't give it to me. Um, but, but I think the, I think that will definitely differ and will probably be something I'm going to be looking at. Um, you know, I think, I think that's going to be treated differently by everybody because there is this understanding this year that things are very different and you've got to, if you really need games, you know, and you're like this power five school, then you're going to kind of have to do what it takes to get people to come to you. Um, and if you're, you know, in the bottom five to 10 conferences, I mean, you're only able to do so much uh, to, to get to these schools. So you, you got to have a little help. So I think there will be some, some different language and some, some different kind of, payouts um than we normally see and also again like there's going to be that 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 get out of jail clause if if you have positive tests or whatever that that there aren't financial penalties that in a normal year you know if you didn't if you didn't play and and it wasn't for a reason in the contract you know you would be hit with a financial penalty for sure you know brett i I, the one of the one of them that it seemed at the beginning made the most sense considering the experience there uh of of uh of the nba and mls um, the Disney bubble, um, you know, I, I, I thought with the Disney bubble cleared out, um, by all those professional leagues, the Disney bubble might be a natural place. And, and certainly that, that the milk house, as it's been known in the past has has certainly been a host of, 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 of its fair share of college events. What happened there? I mean, it, at one point it looked like that's what, that's where ESPN would go with a lot of its events, right? Why did that not work out? A source told me, and this has been pretty widely reported, but, uh, that, it fell through because they couldn't reach a uniform agreement on COVID testing. And so you had conferences, schools from conferences that had different uh, levels of, of required testing. And most of those were actually lower than what ESPN itself was requiring. They were going by the CDC and kind of like what they had done with the NBA. 
Uh, and most of the um, college conferences had lower uh, standards than that. So, you know, they, they weren't willing to agree to that. And then there also were some other aspects, like I think some disagreement over what would happen if, uh, you know, a college basketball player tested positive while they were down there. And I think, you know, I, my understanding is that uh, there was a disagreement on how long they would be uh, quarantined in Orlando. And, and, you know, then there was some other stuff about some other, some schools coming down, we're going to schedule some other games and, you know, that could cause some issues for the integrity of the bubble. And so it, it just was a lot of different stuff. And it really underscores a league like the NBA, you have like a unity of purpose and, and really can just, even with the disagreements they have, you can make things happen much easier than college basketball. It's just such, there's such differing experiences in these athletic department, athletic departments um, that it, it is really tough to get them all on board. I mean, you have, not only do you have different financial uh, capabilities, but you've got like different political realities. You know, I think college sports is much more um, exposed to political realities than, you know, something like the NBA. I mean, if, if you come in from a state that is more conservative, you know, you, you or a conference that's more conservative, you, you potentially may have more lax uh, testing requirements or, or they may be more eager to play, you know, based on how much money they make. Or, you know, there's just all these different motivations that, that um, the pro sports leagues tend to be able to get get everybody more in alignment, you know, much more easily. And and in college sports, it's just it's just much more difficult to to do that. There's so many different things that are at play, and and so really, um, I think ESPN found that to be the case and just <laughs> ended up scrapping it. And uh, I think they, they so they have ten events, and I think they're trying to hold two of them, but but um, nothing like the big major bubble that they were talking about that that is materialized at the Mohegan Sun. Well, we will see a bubble. I, I would think when it comes time for March madness, if, if we get that far, uh, knock, uh, knock wood. Um, and in that case, you know, then you do have the NCAA, I suspect able to come in and say, these are the protocols. Um, if, uh, if you advance to the tournament, if, if, if you've got one of those, well, I'm assuming it'll be 64 slots, but I guess that could change. Everything else has changed. Um, but uh, if you get one of those slots, this is going to be the expectation. This is how long you're going to quarantine before you come. This is the test results you're going to have to show before you're admitted. And this is how you're going to have to behave once you get here. I suspect all that is something that all, while the NBA, while the NCAA has been loath to make anybody do anything um, around this pandemic, other than you know, sort of make recommendations and cross your fingers and, and hope they follow them. With the tournament, I suspect we'll see something a little different because, again, that you, you talked about this this unprecedented uh, coming together of all these teams in one site for Bubbleville. It's uh, we're going to be we're going to be even beyond that for whatever unfolds in Indianapolis, where we know that uh, I don't know if it'll be one site, but it certainly will be one city that hosts the tournament. I think. Yeah, and I mean, what what do you have something like the NCAA for if it's not able to kind of dictate something right now? You know, they, I mean, this is when you need leadership and, and kind of it honestly would help everybody if you just sort of put your foot down on certain things. So, I mean, I think that'll be interesting to see. I think they'll be looking to some of these events to see how they go, to see what they can what they can pull from them. I mean, the NBA and, and those and NLS and NWSL, you know, were, were really effective bubbles and you can learn some things from them. But I mean, again, for all those reasons that college sports is different, I think these uh 
these MTEs will be kind of interesting uh, test cases for the NCAA. Uh, and yeah, I, I think, well, it's possible that the uh, biggest single site uh, college basketball event record doesn't uh, last very long. <laughs> may only make it to March. Yeah, it, it may. Well, listen, great stuff. Brett McCormick, uh, great stuff this week. Uh, thanks for coming in to talk about it. Yeah, no problem. First Look is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're a fan of our podcast, subscribe on your mobile device to have First Look delivered right to your phone every Monday morning. Now, we turn to executive editor and publisher, Abe Madcor. Abe? Thank you, Bill. Good to talk with everybody on First Look. I'm Abe Madcor. This is less about what I'm keeping an eye on as to more what I'm watching right now. And that is the results from our reader survey. We've been doing this for a number of years. It's really the voice of you, our readers. Thousands of readers weighed in on their opinion on the state of sports business, the state of leadership in sports business, the state of operations of the leagues and the teams. And so what did I take away? Well, a couple of consistent themes, but also some new refreshing surprises from the readers this year. Bottom line, the NBA remains the industry's business and leadership bellwether. It's still the bell of the ball. People have so much respect for the NBA and its leadership. But what I also took away is NASCAR has clearly changed the narrative around its sport, and that's something we've talked about before on First Look. But first, the NBA. Again, a lot of love shown toward the league in the reader survey. Commissioner Adam Silver ran away again with leadership honors. He was named the most effective at navigating the challenges of 2020. He was named the most intriguing executive in sports business. National Basketball Players Association Executive Director Michelle Roberts was seen as the most effective union leader. The NBA had the most intriguing athlete in LeBron James. The NBA was voted the property most effective at responding to COVID and most effective at producing live events. And the NBA was also lauded for a number of other categories. So again, the love and the respect and the admiration for the NBA continues. It's been that way really for the last six or seven years, ever since Silver became commissioner in 2014. And I see no signs that that respect is waning across the industry. But NASCAR had its strongest results ever in our reader survey. Generally, NASCAR does not score well on this survey. In fact, it scored traditionally very poor. But this year, the industry recognizes and really appreciates, it seems, the changes and execution under President Steve Phelps. So Phelps ranked behind Silver as both the industry's most intriguing executive and the most effective executive. NASCAR scored well in responding to COVID and in producing live events, and Bubba Wallace was named the second most intriguing athlete behind LeBron James. All those are really new indices for NASCAR and very positive marks for the sport. It shows how effective they've been in change management, how effective they've been in aligning their sport, and also in communicating the progress and the achievements of what they have done. Other takeaways, 
Greg Sankey easily has earned the industry's respect among college leaders. In his five-year tenure as SEC commissioner, Sankey has quickly garnered a lot of admiration for his leadership. He has been a leader out front on the COVID-19 pandemic and the SEC's return. He was tabbed as the most effective college commissioner this year. And finally, I'll just say it indicates that everybody seems to be looking at a rough 2021 as well as the difficulties of 2020. Everybody I talk to seemingly is looking at the back half of 2021 for business to get better. And in our survey, more than 40% of respondents said their budgets for next year will be down by 25% or more, showing that spending will remain very slow in 2021. So for all those thinking that when January 1st rolls around, business is back, not so fast, unfortunately, as much as we all would like to. But I really hope you'll dig into our sports industry report because it gives a really clear indication of what the sports industry thinks about its peers and colleagues in the business and who they admire and who they think is getting it right. So Bill, that's what I'm really digging into and keeping an eye on this week. I'm Abe Madcore. Hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving week. Be safe, be healthy, be good to each other. I'll talk to you next week on First Look. Bill King, back to you. Thanks, Abe. That's going to do it for this week. For Abe Madcore, Brett McCormick, and our producer, Chris Mason, I'm Bill King, and this has been First Look.